0: Ameliana Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. When you're working on a product, an important part of the process is to understand how consumers use it. This helps drive improvements. Avni Patel, CEO and founder of Poppy, explained the role of consumer psychology in analyzing products. Avni also explained the process of launching a tech startup as a solo founder. We talked about how she built and launched the first version without having a background in software development and programming. Avni explained her experience at YC and how she handled rejection the first time she applied. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank Blind for being a sponsor. Blind is an anonymous app for tech workers to discuss debate, and talk about compensation, corporate policies, workplace harassment, and more. I've used it for over a year and find it very helpful. There are 50,000 companies active on Blind. Check if yours is there and connect with other employees. Blind is available for iOS, Android, and online at teamblind.com. Go to teamblind.com to download the app. Thank you. Avni Patel Thompson, CEO and founder of Poppy, is joining us today. Avni, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. And I want to begin by talking about early in your career when you began as a brand manager at Procter & Gamble. In another interview that you did, I heard that you mentioned that consumer psychology was something important that you learned here. Can you talk about consumer psychology, what this means?
1: yeah. so for me, my undergrad was actually in chemistry, and but I had taken um, a couple of psychology classes, and I just really enjoyed the subject matter about why do people think uh, what they do? Why How do they make decisions? And then when I decided to join Procter & Gamble, and I was doing this brand manager role, that was really important to doing that job well in understanding what problems do consumers have, and what is the role of a product or a service in solving that, and in doing so then building a really great business. And so it was never about the business first, it was about the consumer first. And I really found that really interesting. And Just being given the license or the permission to go and be curious about people, I just found that really interesting. So, I loved when I say I love the consumer psychology, I loved every time we had to do market research, every time we had to go do in home, every time we had to just ask a question what problem or what friction is a consumer facing? And then having to kind of collect all that data and information and not necessarily take it all at face value, but then, you know, kind of overlay the things that you knew about everything else and try to figure out what's the product, what's the business model that actually makes that all work. And I found that just to be a really fascinating puzzle to try to solve.
0: And this idea of putting the product in the consumer first mindset and going and be curious even took you to watching consumers at their houses using the products. Can you talk about the difference between this and having them in a focus room where it's a more controlled environment? What are some of the things that you get from watching them?
1: Absolutely. So I think this is where there's an art and a science. What I think about old school brand management or new school kind of product, it isn't about asking or talking to your users and then just taking everything they say at face value. I think that can be dangerous because different people want different things. You can spend all your days either building software or products or whatever, based on what people tell you. I think the point rather is that you're talking to people, you're observing people to be gathering data points to be able to understand what is the actual problem to be solved what are some hypotheses on how you might you know put you know a v1 out there but I learned this again early in my career because we would do what you would put together a market research plan that had both a qualitative and a quantitative aspect to it and the quant side of it was super interesting you'd you know you'd learn how to create surveys and like you know tens of hundreds of questions in non-leading kind of ways that you could have statistically significant kind of answers and measure that so that was really interesting in its own way the qualitative was always used to supplement that so that you could get the flavor of the answers Um, so that you could say, okay, 61% of people answered this. But then you would marry that with the qualitative to be able to actually make sense of like, well, why did 61% of people say that? And for me, the qualitatives, as much as the data part of me loved the quant, there was a big part of me that really loved the qualitative, because that was where the color and the messiness kind of was of people. Because there would be lots of times when you would expect people to say something or a reason why, and it would just not be that reason. It would be something entirely different. And so to do really good qualitatives, um, it's really hard to take people out of the context of their lives place them into something as sterile as like sort of a focus group room and a two-way mirror and all that kind of stuff and then expect them to act normally or answer questions in a way that actually gives insight into their lives. And so one way to get around that is you do shop-alongs or in-homes. And this is like in the context of like CPG and and the job that I used to do. So you would either go into the homes of like maybe five or seven people and you would ask them questions um, just first generally about their lives. You know, just you'd, you'd ask them super general questions about their home, their lives, all that kind of stuff. And then you'd start diving into specifically, like let's say if you're talking about laundry, you'd go into their laundry room, just kind of observe how's their setup of, you know, all the different things that they've got going on. You would actually have them put in a load and just observe. You would literally just be a silent person observing as they go on in their daily life And because you're trained to know all the things to kind of look for, you would observe things that they don't know to even tell you. You would observe things that they've figured out ways to just accommodate. So little frictions in life that people just don't even see anymore. So do they open that package in kind of a funny way? Do they do a certain order of filling the washer or something like that because they realize that something isn't working, but they've figured out a hack to just kind of accommodate that? So that's your job then to be able to observe those things. And then over some time, like develop, is this like an outlier or is this an actual pattern of some insight? And then create the hypothesis to then be able to test more broadly. And so shop-alongs or in-homes I just thought were just so powerful. And I think they're very relevant even today when I'm doing something you know, very different, building software to solve a very human problem. But the insight is still there. There is a limit. There's a use, but there's a limit to... How much insight you can get from simple surveys or talking to people and just hearing what they say at face value there has to be the supplement of actually observing how they're using um, the product in real life
0: exactly and the same like you said can be observed in software if we add telemetry to our website and we figure out oh they're clicking this page first to go to this other page when in reality, there exists an option in the home screen, but people are not finding it. That's exactly it.
1: I think the one of the hardest things that I've had to learn is you have to be careful to it's really it's not easy, but you know you want to build rational product, and so you can think through a flow and think how people ought to be going through and ought to be using it. And then there's a tendency for us um, as product builders to say, well, if the user is not using it that way, that's sort of their fault. They should know better, and we should just build even better onboarding flows and and you know make it even more clear that they should be clicking this button and not that. Well, I take a little bit of a different point of view. For me, it's that I think it's a meet in the middle. Yes, we should. Help help and have even better onboarding flows to make them understand, yes, it would be better if you clicked in this order and these types of things. But I think it's also for us to be able to build more nuanced, thoughtful product that integrates into their lives in the ways that they're already doing things without expecting them to bend around the product. How do you build the product that blends seamlessly into their lives? And I think that's a really important thing to think about when we're building software.
0: Exactly. And you're currently CEO and founder of Poppy. And I saw this is the second startup that you founded. You founded it right after shutting down the first startup before we get into talking about what Puppy is and what you're doing there. I'm really curious, why did you decide to immediately start a second startup after the first one was shut down?
1: Yeah, I don't think I intended to, is the truth of the answer. I had an intention to start my first startup. And I, you know, within my life, I sort of created the space to be able to go and do that. I ended up quitting my job and worked it out with my husband that, you know, I was going to go a year without making a salary. And, you know, would that be okay with, you know, by that time we had one daughter and another one on the way, I was pregnant with our second daughter. And so that all made sense, I would say, for my first startup. But when my first startup, it was clear that this was not going to be like a scalable kind of uh, venture. Instead, I wanted to make it a, a lifestyle sort of thing I could have, but that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. So we made the hard decision to shut it down. But in doing so... I was actually looking at going just either back to my corporate job or joining another startup. Um, Those two, frankly, were my um, lead um, considerations because after coming off of a failure and anyone else who's kind of gone through that um, process, there isn't any data points to suggest that you're going to be successful where you've just failed. So I I will say super honestly, I didn't necessarily have an intention to try again. Truthfully, this was more about curiosity driving me. There was, I just kept on hearing about the problems. And I personally was also at that time experiencing these problems because we had just um, by then had our second daughter. We were having a lot of different issues with not having family in town. Um, Nannies, one of our nannies quit on us. And so it was just very, very filled with friction, frankly. And so for me, it was curiosity about like how it just doesn't make sense that I would be living my life as a parent with this much anxiety and stress every day. And then when I talked to friends, it was the same thing. So I think for me, I really didn't have an intention to start another startup. Poppy, I guess I would say, um, didn't start as another startup. It started as a curiosity, as a little test, as an idea, but in many ways, I think that's actually what got it off the ground in a more successful way, because there were no, there was no vanity stuff around it. There was no expectations, there were no launch parties or launch emails. It really was a curiosity completely driven by how do we solve this problem. And because that's where we started, that's sort of how we've continued to grow the company. It's just completely rooted in hypotheses and curiosity. And so by the time I had actually been doing Poppy maybe, I don't know, like 12 weeks, and we had something really, like, really good and growing on our hands or like on my hands. By then, it sort of momentum took over. And then it was very clear okay, the next thing is for me to go find a co founder and a CTO. The next thing after that, let's go see if we can get into YC. And the next thing after that, let's like go raise a seed round. And so honestly, like at that point, once you get going and you don't worry about the rest, like I never worried about labeling whether I was starting in second startup or all this kind of stuff. And by the time that I got around to actually doing that, I totally had a second startup on my hands.
0: I see. Let's just go a little bit back at the time when you finished shutting down the first startup and you're saying there's this curiosity, you're expecting your second child and there seems to be an anxiety around this child care space,
1: right? Yeah, and I think it was a surprise when we first had our first daughter. So a little bit like... My background has been uh, and my husband's has been that we're originally from Canada, but we have moved around a lot for our careers and education everywhere within Canada and the U.S. We even lived in China for a little while. And when we had our first daughter in Boston, we realized, you know what, everyone says it's true. Let's get closer to family because I imagine that that'd just be nice to have family in our lives for our daughters, but just like a little bit more help. And so we moved to Seattle um, with my family being in Vancouver, Canada, but we quickly realized that being close close is not the same as being in the same city and being there as backup for all the times that you need help. And I think for me, the observation was, is that yes, people are talking about, you know, I need help with a sitter or my nanny or whatever it is. But the true observation for me was that parenthood has somehow become this sort of lonely endeavor where we're trying to do it either by ourselves or with a partner if we're lucky. But apart from that, you know, A lot of us don't have family that live in the same city or close by. We don't necessarily, we're very connected online, but we don't necessarily know our neighbors such that we could, you know, ask for help with our kids. And then parenthood has changed, just the expectations and like how many commitments and all this kind of stuff. So all of that stuff is turning into sort of like a pressure cooker situation. And for me, the observation is that we're all missing our villages. We were sort of promised this village that helps to raise our children and we don't have it. And for me, again, the curiosity was around well, I'm not really interested in sort of like building a babysitter app. But I am interested if you can use data and technology to build the modern village, something that actually comes in and supports families and enables really amazing people that live in our communities to come in and support and help. And then also, obviously, for them, make a really good um, income. So that was the idea from the very, very beginning. uh, But it was based on an insight that feels a bit nuanced, but I think is different from how other people look at it. This isn't about just a transaction with a city. For me, it's bigger than that. It is about how do we rebuild that safety net for parents so parenthood doesn't feel so fraught with anxiety and kind of this idea that it feels like you're alone.
0: I'm really curious, what are some of the ways in which puppy transmits this idea of a community and the modern village through the users, for example?
1: Yeah, so I think it's sort of at two levels. So one level, we have to have our mission in mind um, and talk about how we're rebuilding village. But at the other point, we have to get down to the practicalities of like, okay, but what does that mean in product? And so the way that I think about it is a village is sort of a function of, You know, people that you trust, so that's a vetting mechanism, are fit for your family, that's a matching algorithm or almost like a dating kind of approach, and are there when you need them to be. And that's sort of like a scheduler. So, ever since the beginning, the technology side of our kind of the way that we approach this problem is focused on the vetting, the matching, and the scheduling. And it sort of sounds simple at that standpoint, but if we talked about, if we broke down each of those different topics, there's so many different complex and nuanced technical and just product decisions, which make that all very interesting. But at the end of the day, what it looks like is parents sign up, they tell us the important details about their families, then they submit a request and say, hey, I need someone tomorrow from noon to four. And our platform is able to query all the different options see not only who is available for that time, but who is the best fit for that family and that age of kids and all of those needs. And then we go and ask those people for them. And then we send a confirmation to the family. So what the family experiences, I have a problem, Poppy, I told you about my problem. And now you've given me the solution in a really simple way that is Truly amazing. And now, the most important part of this is is that when that poppy comes to your door, he or she does an amazing job with your kids, the care, all that kind of stuff. They truly are the rave worthy kind of caregivers that we sort of build our community with. And then it, it's sort of at the end of it is like a really strong feedback loop that we use to then feed into the matching and the performance and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, that and then the similar kind of experience is built out for the caregivers who are qualified. They go through a vetting and an Application process that involves obviously verifying their experience, um, talking to references, background checks, all the things that you'd want, whether you're a caregiver or you're a family um, looking for a caregiver. And then once you do that, we try to make it easy from a platform standpoint so that they can just tell us the parameters under which they want to work or take bookings, where and when, and all that kind of stuff. And then we make it simple to just send them basically bookings that, that fit for them to their phone. And so For us, our job is to build the technology in between, the platform in between, to be able to make the experience as easy as possible on both ends.
0: And I just want to highlight that you started this company by yourself, and you've explained an overview of the functionality right now. There's betting involved, matching and scheduling. In a talk that you gave at the Female Founders Conference you explain what the original tech stack was when you were working on this by yourself. I found this really fascinating how it worked at the beginning. Can you talk about this initial tech stack?
1: Yeah. So um, at the very beginning, when I had this curiosity about Poppy, this is also about in 2015. So... Definitely, lots of different services were popping up. Everything from like Stripe to Typeform to all these different things, like Squarespace, and I was just super interested at how there was all these like off-the-shelf um, kind of technologies. But for me, when I was thinking about Poppy, I it's really hard not to think of everything immediately in terms of an app because I feel like that's what everyone does. They're like, oh, I can totally build an app or whatever that is. But I'm not technical, so for me, even though I saw it in my head as an app, I couldn't build that app. I actually tried to teach myself Swift and try to like, try to teach myself to code, but with like a newborn and a two year old, and it was just like, there was just not um, practical. Um, And so I took a step back and said, well, let's, it's not the app. That's the real product in this scenario that I need to test out. It truly is the offline product that we need to test whether any, whether that's something anybody even wants. And to enable that, could I just create something very, very lightweight using like off the shelf kind of tools to approximate it. So for me, it was, just like, let's just write down the whole flow, the whole value chain. And so if we need to go contact parents, well, let's either just email them or let them text, they're going to submit sort of a request, I can turn that into a Google Calendar invite with a certain date and time with an address in the address field, um, any additional booking details in the sort of notes field. And so that would be the unit for a booking would be a Google Calendar invite. And I would get rough, high level schedules from caregivers that they inputted into Google calendars, I would see who would be available. And I would send, I would text them and say, hey, can you actually take this booking, they would confirm that they could. And then I would send them the actual Google calendar invite. The very, very first iteration of this was truly just on my day planner, like paper, where parents would text me a request, I would write it down on my day planner on the calendar, the monthly calendar thing. And then I would text, a caregiver, like we only had maybe five or six caregivers to start with. And so I would know their rough schedules, I would text them as soon as I got a confirmation, I would go back and then I would text the family, I would do things like at 7pm, I felt like, you know what, we should send confirmation texts. Well, I didn't have the ability to actually send out automated texts. So I would pretend to be the bot that would like, text at 7pm the night before a booking. And I would say like, this is a confirmation that Sarah is coming tomorrow from blah, 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 here is a link to her profile. And the link would link to a Squarespace site page that I just kind of put up. And so again, the whole thing was just thinking through how would I want this to be experienced? And let's just break it down into like just doing it. And the beautiful thing about that and like, you know, YC talks about this a lot is that like do things that don't scale. And in doing so, totally saw which parts of the value chain were valued by the customer and the user. And so therefore, to this day, folks get 7 p.m. night before confirmation text. Obviously, now it is done through Twilio. It is actually automated, all those types of things. But it is based on the insight that I tested it out in a very manual way, actually figured out that it had value before asking anybody to actually produce it in code. It's a value that we still... It's like one of our values that we say we text before we app because I think it's very important that we in operations, product, and recruiting aren't leaning on the engineering team to simply just churn out products and features without some estimation that it's actually going to be valuable. And there's so many tools out there to approximate what you're trying to do without even writing a line of code that we think it's fundamental to go do that first, prove its utility, prove the different ways that it actually didn't go the way that you think it was going to go. And then, you know, you almost get a jump start in uh, when you're actually asking the engineer team to get involved.
0: Exactly. So you had this idea of Poppy and you had just had your second child. And instead of being overwhelmed, like, ah, oh, how am I going to build this? I don't have time to learn to code or, and maybe not enough funds to hire a team to build it. You dissected the idea and saw what tools go in each part of the idea. Like you said, Squarespace was the landing page for payments. You wired up Stripe and Google Calendar, SMS people. Excel as the database, what I just want to highlight here is you can get pretty far with off-the-shelf tools and by focusing on the value that you are adding to others.
1: That's exactly it. And I think what I tell other sort of folks who are looking to be founders or start companies, um, especially women, I think it's more important that you get a V1 in market, even if it doesn't feel perfect, and it doesn't feel exactly the way that you would have had it in your head, It is way more important to put something into market because nothing's going to be the way that you think it was going to be. And it's more important to get like a head start on the learning than it is to get something that is sort of theoretically perfect. And so, yes, in my case, like actually lined up so that you could do, you could build a tech stack, um, everything from the database to the landing page um, in that way. But I would argue that most people with their ideas have some ability to do a similar approximation so that, you know, you're not relying again and coming back to what we talked about at the beginning You're not relying on people's face value of talking about the idea of your startup, having them say, Oh, that sounds like an amazing idea. I can't believe nobody's working on that. And then you taking that as validation, as opposed to building something very basic, talking to them and saying, Hey, give this a whirl, like, try it out. What do you think? And now will you pay me 20 bucks for it? Like, you know, that's a very different learning loop that you're about to have, as opposed to just simply the talking. And I think that's one part that I believe that when people say talk to your users, I think has been misconstrued. It is talk to your users, but it isn't just talk to them to convince them why your idea is good. It isn't talk to them to ask them sort of leading or like just questions that they're going to answer. But again, to our original point, maybe aren't answering in the true way that they ought to be. Talk to your users means be so connected to your users' lives and their problems that that's what's driving your product and your feature cycle is that you observe all these friction points because you're so close to your user that your list of um, your feature backlog is always just kind of full of these ideas because they're not ideas that you're sitting down at your desk and trying to dream up as a product manager. They are real friction points that you are observing by you know talking to observing working with your actual users
0: with this B1 that you put together, you made it through the interview phase of YC, unfortunately, and both fortunately. You didn't make it through, but you decided to continue working as if you had been accepted to YC. Can you describe what this consisted of?
1: Yeah, so I think um, there was a couple of things. So if I started the test probably in March, I probably had three or four weeks of data to submit the YC application. And I knew I was early, but you know, there was sort of two things um, that I believed in. One, just the process of filling out the application. There's a lot of really good questions there that were clarifying that for me, having to answer them helped me get Hone in on a better, tighter story. What am I actually doing? Digging into numbers, all this kind of stuff. So, even just doing the application super early had value. I think a lot of people would say, ah, oh, that's just too early. There's no way I'm going to get in, so I'm not even going to try. And I think, you know, I totally get that, but I think that's, um, I'm glad I did. Um, I'm glad I said, you know what, there's no harm in at least filling it out. Um, I'll get some benefit by, you know, honing my story a little bit. And then I hit submit, I was very surprised. Well, I was surprised and I wasn't surprised. I actually had data, I had actual user data that suggested that what I was on even though early was something that, you know, was really interesting. And so I was surprised when I got the invite to the interview, but I was really glad because that for me felt like, you know, they're truly really interested in people and ideas that suggest that we're building something that people want. And so yeah, I was really excited. And I I mean, honestly, it's hard not to get your hopes up once you are invited for an interview. But yeah, I went down, it was still myself. So again, like, they're very clear about it. T- it's very hard work, you really do need a team to do all the things. They're not adverse to solo founders, especially solo founders that have teams already. I truly was like a one person uh, team, though. And so I went down, I totally talked about all the different things and all the potential and everything. Um, But nonetheless, like you said, you know, I got the email at the end of the day saying, you know, really love the idea. Think you're onto something, but think you're early. We need to see evidence of a team and more data. So why don't you go off and get those things and then reapply uh, for the next batch? So yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was like disappointed, but what I really focused on was the positive parts. Like they actually thought I was onto something. And I think for me, like my personality is driven by like actual tangible tasks. And in some ways you know, irrespective of like, whether they gave it or like, it was very clear, but I had two tasks to kind of do one was to build a really great team. And then the other was to go continue this growth such that when I can apply the next month in like six months, I would just have an even better growth graph that wasn't based on just three or four weeks, it was based on like six months of data. And that's exactly what I did. And so then, like somewhat ironically, but the next time that we, I was like writing the application, it basically wrote itself, it was just super easy to write it, because not only did I do what I said I was going to do after the last time I um, applied, but I actually had results and it was much easier to write about something when you have results, as opposed to like pontificating on the potential of something. Like, I think that there's this market with like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think we can do this in the first month. Well, no, I didn't have to write that. I was like, we did this many bookings and we've been growing this percent every month. And it just reads and writes just so much easier.
0: Exactly. And the second time that you applied and that you passed, you had this team of people working with you and also more growth in Poppy. Yes, that's exactly
1: it. And that, I will say, is very important because I think one other thing that um, people can somewhat forget is that anything like YC... Or other programs like that are considered quote unquote accelerators. There are 12 weeks of focused effort and to accelerate something. So be very sure that you have something to be able to accelerate. Otherwise, like, you know, my analogy is that it's like sort of like a plane, that will just come up, like come apart, make sure that you've got enough of something that can actually get off the ground and be accelerated. Otherwise, it's sort of wasted 12 weeks, like you sort of like miss the chance to accelerate something. And so even if I had gotten in into YC, like I can see that now now, even if I had gotten in the first time, that actually would have been a really poor use of everyone's time, frankly, involved, because I would have been so focusing on trying to get more bookings or more growth without having built actually the right foundation of how to even go about doing those things. But by the time we got into the second time, we had that. So it was still super intense, but we could actually deliver on the potential of our company, because we had uh, the people to do the work. And Poppy right now
0: continues to Focus on building this modern village and you're also making sure the company is growing every day. That's the other main big focus. The other aspect in which the company is growing is you're hiring, correct?
1: Yes. Um, I think that's the great thing about um, startups. It's always in an, you know, if you're lucky and you're working on something that is like continuing to grow, that also means growth in team. And so for us, an exciting part of just where we're at is that we have continued to grow really well. We have, you know, fanatical users um, here in Seattle. But I mean, we're only just getting started. And so as we look at the next kind of, you know, six to 12 months, lots of really exciting stuff, both from I would say investment in on the technical side, everything from how we're looking at our matching algorithms and the data science side of things, all the way through to building out our first native mobile apps, all the way through to, you know, everything to do with like feedback and like the interface and the UX UI. So lots of really interesting projects related on the technical side. But even from the market side, you know, for us, next up is kind of like, where are we going next after Seattle and market expansion and all the different uh, fun challenges of that. And so So as we think about some of those things, you know, our first priority is to build up on our engineering team side. And so certainly we've got a couple of really uh, juicy roles um, available, everything from like sort of full stack engineers through to like there's a ton of really interesting front end work um, to be done. So. Yeah, we're like, it's a fun place to be in. And we're looking for people that are really motivated by obviously like the mission and the problems that we're solving, but really also that are just that are just really good at what they do and are really interested in applying those talents to something that is this tricky and is as hard a problem as this is, but also then obviously has the higher order kind of like building something for like a really great societal impact.
0: Where can people find more information about these roles and what
1: Poppy's working on? Absolutely. So they can just go to our website, meetpoppy.com. And, uh, under careers, uh, we've got a couple of the roles listed, but again, for me, I love to just talk to people. So if there are folks that are interested in what we're doing, they believe that they might have, uh, talents that are related to that. I just want to talk to them because for me, I believe even if there isn't necessarily the right fit right now, you never know how things shift in startups. And so I always want to be talking to folks that are really, you know. Bright and motivated and passionate about doing big things because you never know where the opportunities might lie. And the last thing is, is that a lot of times in startups you don't think that there's a role open for what it is that you do, but you start getting in there and you start looking at different opportunities and then you create a job. (laughs) And so I've had that happen on our team like a couple of different times. And so that's always definitely you know a possibility. But for sure we have like a couple of roles that are listed on our site. But I'm always excited to chat with different people and people can reach out to me personally, my email is avni at meetpoppy.com. And I'm always happy to chat with people.
0: Well, Avni, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure
1: talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks to Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. Go to teamblind.com. That's teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. Check it out.